0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus.
1: And We're going to enter into a time of testimony, so if you want to just slowly sit. We're going to do it a little different, though. Uh, I always swore I'd never walk around with a microphone, but I'm about to. Um, And I want to hear your testimonies, and I want to... Put the same level of it. Of you prayed for peace and God gave you peace, this room should erupt with praise the name of Jesus. If you tell me some wild story, this whole room a wild story of healing or demons out or anything, this room should be like praise the name of Jesus. So often, so often when we testify, testify you're going to start. Wow, I didn't, we didn't even plan this. Yes. um
2: So I'm a teacher, and I have a former student who. Um, just like three weeks ago, was on a ventilator, fighting for her life. Um, her mom reached out for prayers, and...
1: You're gonna make it. I'm gonna make it.
2: At the end of the day on Friday, I take the front walkers out, and she was standing outside the door, and I just started weeping because it was like she was a walking miracle. She should have not have made it out of that hospital. They asked the parent, should we revive her if she crashes? Like, she was that bad. She was, she was on her deathbed. And just three weeks later, all of her chest scans have come back completely clear. She is off all medications, and she is super healthy. And that is just,
1: what that is do, God. Church? That is God. Now, we're not, we're not used to that, because sometimes people tell stories, and we're like, that's it? Like, yes, praise the Lord. And so I just want all you white folk in the room, which is the majority of us, to actually express ourselves, okay? So I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna walk around with a mic. If you have a testimony, I'm just gonna walk down this aisle and walk back. If you do, just give me one of these. I'm gonna hand you a mic, which is a scary thing for a pastor to do because some of you are weird. So don't be weird, man. And don't. this is not your time to give a sermon. This is your time to testify the goodness of God. Can we do that? So if you can agree for 30 seconds, I will smack this mic out of your hands, Like, and I ain't scared. So I'm going to start this way, and if you have a testimony, you just give me a little nod. I knew Mike was going to do it.
3: That's because we had breakfast, and I,
1: gave, yeah. I told you it. Go best, ahead. You know. Share it, Mike. So right before Thanksgiving, um, I had hardly any work scheduled in December, and I, I worked for myself, so... If I don't work, I don't get paid obviously. So I I contribute to another ministry outside of a Cobblestone besides what I give at Cobblestone. And I decided after coming back from a conference that I was gonna double what I was given. By Thanksgiving weekend, I had signed
3: a full month of work in December way beyond my expectations and it's not just work, it's really good pay and work. So I praise
1: God for that. <laughs> Everyone doesn't want to look at me, which is fine.
2: Um so I
4: didn't grow up religious. My parents aren't Christians. Um and I accepted Jesus about four years ago. But yeah, that's <laughs> <Everybody's> awesome. <excited. laughs> But um, a few weeks ago, my parents started going to church again, and my dad hasn't been in about, like, 15 years. So that's, like, really huge for my family. So. Awesome.
1: What's uh What's dad's name? Bill? Hey, prayer people, we're praying for Bill this week, all right? Anybody
3: else?
5: I don't particularly want to do this, but... I've just gotten three confirmations right in a row. So um, this stuff makes me really nervous. A Couple years ago, um, I woke up with a really bad headache and um, called my husband home from work, which I don't do normally. Um, He was kind of upset with me, but he came home and I waited a few days, couldn't get up out of bed, couldn't keep anything down. And Sunday morning, I had a dream that I was in a hospital bed, and I was presented with two doors. One was a normal hospital door, and one was another hospital door with 777 on it as the number, and a bright white light um, shining from around it. And... I wanted to peek in that door but I knew that if I did, I sorry i wasn't going to wake up that morning. And so I chose the normal hospital door and I woke up and I told my husband, this is not a normal headache, I need to go to the doctor. Turns out I had multiple blood clots in my brain, um, sorry, I'm super nervous. Um and I was in the hospital for about 2 weeks. Um and I was pregnant with my fourth baby who praise God is here with us. Um I was also <laughs> she just turned 1 on Friday. Um I was advised to abort her. Um Praise God I I didn't. I said, "God, I can't do that. You're going to have to work here." And he did. Praise God. Um I had to wear an eye patch for almost a year because I couldn't see straight. Um and praise God, obviously blood clots are all gone. My vision is back to normal and I'm praying for continued healing there because um, I have some other just hereditary eye issues. So pray for healing there for me. Um, but, yeah, I'm clean bill of health now and a lovely baby girl. So praise God.
1: You did it. So you know it's a real testimony when it includes, and my husband was ticked off that he got a call home from work, so praise the Lord. Real real life testimonies. Anybody feel awkward right now? So we do this. This is why we do this. This is what Christians should do. We should get together and be like, what have you seen God do? Tell me. And it stirs up your heart. I'm still walking, so if you raise your hand right now, I will give you a microphone. Everyone's like, that's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to. If I make it all the way around the room, we're, we're all going to do
3: this. Mark, you going to do it? Let's do it, bro. You got to hold it here, though. Okay. You want me? Okay. All right. I'm in my late 60s and um, some medical issues. And I sometimes sit around and think, God, you know, why am I still here? You know, I've been through a good life and uh, served him well and love him. And uh, I'll just tell you real quick how he's just responded to that. I work uh, at a pantry, or have at a pantry, and help them, and uh, they have not only the pantry, but they have uh, street missions, where they take it to the streets. I mean literally, they'll take a cardboard, folding cardboard table, put it up and serve sandwiches and stuff to people right in the middle of the street, and these are the best people of Hamilton, you know, the drug dealers and such. And uh, I went there a few weeks ago, and had an opportunity to pray for a young woman. And uh, along with the rest of the team that was there, and we did. And she had had some problems, and she had just gotten out of jail and trying to walk from Hamilton to Middletown. And um, so we helped her by we asked her for a phone number of somebody she knew, and uh, so they could come down and get her. And we prayed for her. And uh, there was some stuff going on, and she had some. I, all I can tell you is I prayed with her, and she just was shaking, and I couldn't even hold her down, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, a lot of stuff happened real quick, and then it was over, and she was just, just exhausted, and I think uh, God did some real work there, and uh, I got to see that. He, uh, you know, used me to see that, and then a few weeks later, um, had an incident down there where a boy in a child in a wheelchair came up and he had multiple sclerosis, and his muscles were all locked up. And he said, I just want to walk again. And so put my hands on his knees and prayed, you know, for God to come right to the Holy Spirit through me and heal him. And uh, four weeks later, he we came back, and he was walking. But he was walking behind the walker. And he was healed. So, I don't care how old you are or uh, what your condition is, God can use you if you're willing. Amen. That's a good testimony.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Praise God.
4: Okay, so um, I had a dream last Friday uh, where we were at my daughter's dance recital, and um, their dance teacher was grabbing her neck. And so the next day, they had their real Christmas dance recital up at the community arts center, And I walk in, and I can tell she's, like, swallowing hard and, like, grabbing her neck. Um, And so I was like, okay, God, like, what is this? Um, And so I waited because I don't want to be the weird one, as Andrew calls it. Um, (laughs) But I I got her where she was by herself, and I was like, Ashley, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. Um, And so I just, you know, got kind of weird, and I was like, I command um, all pain to go, and um, no weapon formed against you shall prosper in Jesus name and she was able to go through her three dances um, without any pain without having coughing fits and then after she like really thanked me and um, anyways that's all just to say that um, sometimes we just have to step out in in our faith and obedience Um, and so yeah
1: amen
2: So when I was uh, about 18, 19 years old, I worked at a factory, and I got my leg caught in a machine It mingled it up pretty bad, um, gangrene set into it. I was young. I didn't know what to do except pray, and I still have
1: my leg. you Short and sweet. I like that. <laughs> Did you raise your hand?
0: Many of you know, I just lost my uh, mother down in Texas here recently and lost dad last November and then mom this November. And um, what I wanted to share with you was in the end, mom had had stage four breast cancer <clears throat> throughout her body, uh, including the the cranium. And she had lost the ability to uh, communicate with my brother and his family or the nurses uh, at home with hospice. And... Uh, She might be able to nod or give an affirmative response, but even some of those were hard to interpret as time went on because you didn't know what she understood uh, in the absence of communication. And in the midst of that, before her death, the hospice nurse came and faced her as she was sleeping more than 23 hours a day and said, Becky, we're here, and you know the hospice people. They are special people. My goodness, I'm so thankful for people who want to work in that capacity, but she just gave her the red, you know, the normal pleasantries and salutations, and mom faces her in her sleep in the midst of not being able to talk and says, Christ is the highest. And in that moment of physical loss, she had absolute 100% spiritual clarity to articulate that sentence, and it was the last sentence that she said, so I just wanted to share it with you.
4: One of my prayers when my daughter had passed back in March was that the Lord would use her life for His glory. Um, and so this week I got a student worker, and uh, Friday I was able to have a conversation with her. She was asking me about my family, and I got to share with her about my daughter. and that opened up a opportunity to share about our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And so if you would just play, pray with me for Claudia, my student worker, Um, The Lord is just giving so many opportunities to be glorified through Nariah's life, continues to. And so I'm just so thankful to him and the opportunities that he's bringing about to just exalt his name.
1: We made it. Everybody made it alive. I didn't have to smack anybody. So I love doing this. And so what we're going to do for the next three minutes is you all are going to do this. Kids, while we're doing this, you're going to go actually meet your adult leaders, which might be a little bit of a like, oh my gosh, it's happening now, Miranda, I'm going to send the kids out of here. Uh, So kids, we're going to say bye to you. Everybody else, look to your left and right, share a testimony of what God's doing in your life. You don't know? Talk about it. What's God doing? Talk. Go. Testify. Uh, My main charge as a preacher is to get to hold up Jesus Christ and for y'all to stare at him. Uh, Dave would say it preacher Dave came out today and I love that we would behold Jesus Christ Um, and so before we do what we do we look at the word of God seriously and we want to live it out Um, I want to be obedient because over and over again in the book of Revelation you have those who have ears let them hear what the spirit is saying and it for me I, I hear that and I go do I have ears to hear am I listening because God is surely not dead. He really is the Alpha and Omega, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will be. Uh, all of your eternity, past and present, are focused on one person. And so what I'd like to do, and it's, it's kind of a different thing for the American church. This is my waiting seat. Here I am waiting. Um, on the night that Jesus was born, what was the entire Jewish people waiting for? They're waiting for their king. They're waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting. Uh, What are we right here in the, you know, 2023 almost, what are we waiting for? The returning and the coming of a king. And so when I look at scripture, I, I look through Sometimes you can see these themes and I see these moments. Those who wait on the Lord will... Okay, so then you have Acts 2, Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to wait, and I want you to pray until I clothe you with power. So there's a hard teaching in Christianity. Do you know what it is? Wait. Wait. And Americans don't wait. We don't wait for hamburgers. We don't wait for coffee. We don't wait for our shows. We stream it, buy it now. We, we We don't even have to go to the store anymore. They just bring it to our front door. And I just felt this like prop from the Lord of like, hey, can you just sit before me and as a people wait for my coming? And I'm like, well, what was that? What does that look like? He's like, just sit down. I'm like, oh, okay. So I just want to enter into prayer with you guys. And if Acts two happens. I'm not in charge anyway, so and I'm not saying that's my goal. My goal is actually a posture of a group of people that would say we want to put our attention on Jesus. So before we preach, before I try to exert a spiritual gift of teaching, I want to say, pray. I want to focus my heart, and I want us to focus our hearts on him. Can you do that? So if you have to close your eyes, great. If you need to bow your head, whatever, if you want to lay down, I pray like that sometimes. And so, Father, I do what you told me to do. I wait. And I lean into your word. You said, those who wait on the Lord. You told your disciples, wait and I'll clothe you with power and then you'll go testify to my goodness. You told the churches of Revelation, I'm coming soon. Like we're waiting for you. And so, right now, as a body, as a people, Father, I just wait. Holy Spirit, come. You're going to move upon the people. Put all your attention on the Son of God. Forget about every worldly thing and focus on Him. If you feel stirred up to pray something, I might pray it. If you feel convicted of sin, I'd confess it. If you feel, oh my gosh, He's close, He is. Lord, we want to be a people of Your presence, which means we'll have to wait and stop. I just give you the room one. We give you our attention, we give you our love. mind starts to wander, draw it back to God. Lord, we're here for you. No other reason to gather. We're here for you. So Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, the Almighty One, that your presence would fall right now the Spirit of Christ would stir up your people to love you. That your word would be precious to us. That it would go out with power right now. That it would cut down principalities and lies that we believe. I thank you for this, people. They're yours. Thank you right now for the one that's sitting in their seat that might feel like you're far away. Would you draw close right now and they would know it. How long would you all sit here if I promised you God would show up? I can't make him do anything, but this is the posture of Christians of Christian, of this is the Christian life right here. A bunch of weird people in a room waiting quietly. And who are we waiting for? That's a, that's a pivotal question. Who and what are we waiting for? Lord, we wait for you. Nice services are great, but you are infinitely better. You are the one that our soul needs. You're the one that we love. I want to show you who we're waiting for. I want to show you Jesus today, okay? And the book of Revelation is going to help us do that. But it's not a picture of Jesus you're used to. The picture of Jesus we're used to is he's a robed figure who probably is very beautiful in your mind, uh, with luscious locks, probably blonde, which is really not true. Uh, And he's a really nice guy, and he sits with sinners, and he multiplies loaves, and he's he's a great all-around good guy. And then you meet him in the book of Revelation, and if you met this Jesus today, your position right now would immediately be the floor, and you'd want to die. So there's not a disconnect. They're the same Jesus. But I want us to latch our hope and our waiting. We are waiting for a king. And the first time that he came, Christmas, it was as a sacrificial lamb, emptying of himself Of everything that would make us go, God is surely... And he lowered himself to the place of a servant. Washed feet, got spit on. Ultimately, he died as an act of love and of defeating the powers of hell and sin. But when he comes again, it's not lowly, soft-spoken, floating a little bit with a robe, nice guy, Jesus. But he was always that guy. And what I love about the book of Revelation is God went through great lengths... To take a guy named John. Now John, everybody know John, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we talked a little bit about John. When John talks about Jesus, I like to listen because John loved Jesus. And anytime I talk about John, I'm like, I want to love Jesus like John. John was so sure of this that he said really humble things like the one that Jesus loved. Referencing himself. All right, John had leaned his head against Jesus on the earth at the Last Supper, I mean, reclined at table with Jesus, and then Jesus ascends to heaven. At this point of the writing of Revelation, all the other apostles are dead, and John is on an island. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I please hope you do, Revelation chapter 1, and I said revelation, not revelations, on purpose, because that's what it is. It is John on an island so caught up in the spirit of God that God rips him up into heaven and says, I'm going to show you some stuff, and I'm going to tell you what's going to have to happen, and I'm going to reveal who I am, which if you're like, I want to know who Jesus is, today's the day for you. And when you look at the, actually the title of the book is Revelation, is it not? And if you defined it a little bit different, actually if you translate it a little bit, it means unveiling. So I picture this. I'm like, this is, the un- this is the moment that God's about to do with the book of Revelation. That's what he's about to do. That's the only reason I brought this up here, so I could do that. I feel really good. So often, when we look at Jesus, we're like, oh, I see kind of what he is, but who is he really? John has this ripped off of Jesus to go, there he is. Behold the man. Stare at Jesus. And you're like, man, you really want us to stare at Jesus. I do, because once again, my preaching, like 2 Corinthians 3.18. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it to you. It says, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What does that mean to me? If I can get you to stare at Jesus, you'll become like him. And I want you like him. I don't want you like me. I don't want you like an elder. I want you like Jesus. And hopefully, they all want to be like Jesus too. So, some people say seeing is believing. That scripture to me says seeing is becoming. Beholding Jesus changes you. Seeing Jesus for who he is aligns your behavior, aligns your motives, aligns your aspirations over something that is otherworldly because he's heavenly. And so as we get into Revelation, I had a whole thing planned. I just want to go straight to verse, I'm skipping all this, verse 10. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, and here's the context. According to verse 9, John is on that island because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John knows that he's on that island because he liked to talk about Jesus too much. He's like, I testified and I testified and I preached and I taught the word of God and they hated me for it. So you know what they did? They put me on an island by myself. So there he is on an island by himself. And in verse 10, if you're in chapter one, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which means he was praying. This goes a little bit in line with what we talked about last week about praying in the spirit. John and the apostles prayed in the spirit. He's deep in like He's connecting with the Lord. He's probably interceding. He's so deep in the spirit on the Lord's day. It says in verse 10, he heard behind him a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. You ever have anybody sneak up behind you and go, hey, like that, but more trumpety. But I don't have a trumpet voice, unlike God, apparently. And then he says, write in a book what you see and send it to the churches. So John gets the vision, the churches get the book. John gets the visions. What do we have? The book. So we get to see the unveiling of the Son of God. We get to see the vision in the book. We're not, I'm not sitting here longing for a vision while I'm waiting. I know what the Lord looks like because John faithfully writes it down. So read this with me, starting in verse 10. And then we, Yep, yeah, we're going to be great. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So he's sitting there praying, alone in his cabin or around it, on Sunday, the Lord's day. And he's in the spirit and all of a sudden he's caught up into this reality where a voice yells, hey, come here, I'm going to show you what's going to have to take place. Write this down, John. And the one that he sees, there's some lampstands and there's some stars and then there's one right there in the middle. And he's one like a son of man. If you know your Bibles, where's that title come from? Anybody? The book of Daniel. And you're like, the book of Daniel. So Daniel sees one who looks like the Son of Man, who is the Ancient of Days. So Jesus loved this title for himself, the Son of Man. It's the most used title for Jesus. And it it, it explains this whole history that there's one like the Son of Man. He's kind of like human, but he's not. He's way better. He's more beautiful. He's more powerful. And this one here, he's clothed with a long robe. So Jesus is still wearing a robe in heaven, y'all. And he has a golden sash around his chest. So it's not around his waist as most priests of the day. It's around his his chest and it's gold. And I think that symbolizes that he is the high priest. He's the one that makes this place between God and man, uh, brings it together. And John sees him. The beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved, the one that loved Jesus the most. And in verse 14, he begins to explain, I'm looking at this one who looks like the Son of Man. Once again, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, blue sash, white robe, you have that picture in your house? That's not the picture of Jesus. Verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool and like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. I'm going to stop regularly, but we'll stop there. All of these are symbols of his power and his judgment. So if you start at the front end, and you think of any white-haired person you know, we'll call them old, uh, what does white hair signify in our culture? Wisdom, honor. Uh, a, a life lived that's now aged and now knows some stuff. There's jokes going around about gray hairs in the back, and I love it. But, so we see Jesus, and he's white-haired, not black, not blonde, white-haired. And when you look at his eyes, it says his eyes were like a flame of fire. So you stare in the eyes of Jesus, and you're seeing a power, a glimmer of glory, a thing that is not normal or natural because he's God. And it says his feet were like burnished bronze. So he's got like iron boots on. I don't know. He's just got strong feet. And he's standing there, burning eyes, white hair. John's seeing him. And he then begins to speak. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls or next to a waterfall? A big one. Not, I'm not talking like a trinkle. I'm talking like a roar of many waters. You can't hear And when Jesus speaks, there's power in it. When Jesus speaks in the New Testament, demons flee. When Jesus speaks in the New Testament, men fall down in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're like, where's Jesus? Like, I'm here. They fall down. They shrink back. This is Jesus unveiled. And when he speaks, it's like roaring, rushing waters hitting you. That's power? That's powerful, right? That's not a guy you want to mess around with. In verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And in his left one, he's got, there's a candlestick. But we're going to find out later that these represent two things, these stars and these candlesticks. The stars apparently are angels assigned to each of the churches, which makes me think, do we have one? Now, all my theologians in the room are like, hmm, go find out for me. I've been asking that question all week. Each of these churches has an angel, which is assigned a star, and then each of these churches has a lampstand. And you really, when we think lampstand, what do you think? You think like a little, one little thing that you played with as a kid and got wax all over the place. What they probably pictured is actually more like a menorah. You know what I'm talking about? Multiple stems, one center-like st- style, and so there's seven of these. And he says, I hold these things in my hand. He continues, as it says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Anybody ever vomit up a sword? Apparently not, right? What is he talking about? I don't think Jesus is up there in heaven right now vomiting swords. I don't think that's what he's talking. He's talking about this powerful cutting force of God's voice and word, which is, once again, that backs up in Scripture. His word is sharper than a double-edged sword, able to split and divide marrow and soul and spirit. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. You know, back in the day at school where they gave you those dumb glasses to look in an eclipse, and you didn't wear them, so now you can't see? That, right? Stare at the sun, and what happens? You can't. You're like, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. Voice of rushing waters, fiery eyeballs, and then there's John. And the next verse is important, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. If you met Jesus right now, what do you think you'd do? Somebody said that. That. And really, biblically, you could back this up. Ezekiel, when he sees the Lord. Isaiah, when he sees the Lord. Every person that encounters the glory of God, what do they do? They don't go, I deserve to be here man, I love you so, no, they go, ah! ah, that's what they do. And you're like, he's lost his mind. That's it. You don't stand in front of him and go, isn't my sin cute? You don't stand in front of him and go, hey, do you like my 401k? You don't stand in front of him and do anything other than, I am low and you are high. You are great and I am nothing. And I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord. Now, here's the thing. You can make this abstract and be like, eh, maybe one day that's what John saw, but I'm going to see his goodness. Like This is it, y'all. This is the reality of the God that we are waiting for. We're waiting for him. This is how he's coming. Not, oh, are you okay? Please come follow me. But in, I am a king, and I destroyed the works of the devil, and I died on a cross, and I rose from the dead, and I've been calling you your whole life, but now you're here, what do you have to say? Ah, that's what you have to say. "Ah, That's it. And I love this because it puts me in my place. God puts us in our place, not the other way around. And when we have, I've said this so many times, when you have a view of Jesus that's very small, your faith gets small. Waiting becomes almost impossible because if you're waiting for a small little dinky Jesus, you're like, why do I even care if he shows up? When he shows up, every wrong is made right. All the tears are put away. All the physical bodies that are broken are made whole and new. This is our coming king. And this Jesus, I am in awe of. This Jesus makes me want to sell all my belongings and go herald it from the mountains. But there's moments in my week, and I know you feel this because I talk to a lot of you, where we've made Jesus this American Christianity Jesus. And so our faith feels stifled because our Jesus is small. Make him big. Make him as big as the Bible does. And why? Here's a question. Jesus comes to John on the island of Patmos and says, John, come up here. I'm going to show you some stuff. And you're going to write it down, and you're going to send it to the churches. Why do the churches need to know this Jesus? During this period of history, if you study church history, uh, a lot of Christians are being persecuted to the point of being burned to death. And this is the cause. Basically, um, Nero blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. And so they became this great enemy. Uh, And so they fed them to lions. That's a real thing. They tore parents and kids apart and said, if you don't deny Jesus, we'll feed your kids to lions. Now, if you have a small Jesus, you're like, don't take my kids. But if you have a big Jesus, you go, I'll burn with them. And that makes no sense to a normal, modern mind. That makes no sense to sell all your stuff and go live in poverty so you can tell other people about the riches. It doesn't make any sense if this Jesus isn't real. But John's going, I saw him, and I fell like a dead man. Now, remember, this is John, the beloved disciple. This is about 60 years. He hasn't seen Jesus in about 60 years. And all of a sudden, he sees him. And you would think of anybody, it would be like a lovely scene on the beach. Jesus. Slow motion. I don't know, but it's not that. It's not that. I don't even know what I just did. Don't ever bring that up again. It's not that, right? I love Jesus Christ. I love him. I love his presence. I love his word. I want to weep at his feet. I want to pour oil. I want to bless him. I want to serve him. I love him. But when I see him, I think that's the position I'm taking. Because his glory and his majesty and his might and all that he is is not what we've made it. But if we would see it for what it is, I think your boldness increases. I think your willingness to suffer increases, which is why Jesus is like, tell my churches who I am. Now, we won't have time this week to go through all the churches, but some of them were lukewarm. Some of them were lazy. Some of them had done some really good stuff but forgot that they loved Jesus, and the world had started to get its hands on them. He's like, remind them who I am. Why does that matter? Once again, when you know who your Savior is, you can endure everything. And so, church, today, I I think the message of Revelation is not like he's... I I always heard the message of Revelation as a threat. You ever hear that in this message? Like, he's coming back! And there's a little bit of a threat in it. But do you know the message of the church for Jesus' second coming is? The Spirit and the bride say, come Come make it right. Come have your way. Come do all this, erase it all and make it new. That's the message of the bride. We are the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. We are message. The Spirit is saying right now, we want to be a church that's going, Jesus, come have your way. We're waiting for you. We're not waiting for our loans to mature. We're not waiting for our kids to be healthy. We're not waiting for better jobs. We're waiting for you. And that is a countercultural. Counterworldly message and Jesus shows up and John falls down dead and this is the this is not a different Jesus than the one John knew I believe that even when Jesus was on the earth he had all this power veiled but think about it go to a, like the feeding of the 5,000 right everybody know what I'm talking about multiple times Jesus just takes bread and loaves and like in a basket and he's like oh there's like two fish lots of fish How much power do you have to have to have that happen? Now, just think about it. Like, I could put anything in your hand right now. I got a mint in my pocket. Multiply it. Make a lot of them. But Jesus, it wasn't even effort. It was just effortless. He was like, what do you have? Well, we got two fish and five loaves. Well, let's thank God for them. And when he did, 5,000 people ate. Power was always there. He calls Lazarus out of a grave like it's nothing. Lazarus, come forth. Mummy Lazarus, there he is. He's like, take off those grave clothes. He's alive. And what the moment that I want for everybody today is actually verse 17. Because some of us, we need this moment more than we need anything, which is why I said, you need to wait on the Lord. That's what we need to do. It says, but he laid his right hand on me Saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So here's John, dead on the ground. That's not figurative. That's like, I'm, I might die here. And the king of glory, he has, you have to, stoop. if someone's laying on the ground in front of you, do you have to kneel or at least bend? Jesus doesn't have to bend for anybody. And he lays his hand on John, his right hand, which is the hand of strength in Jewish culture, which is the hand of honor, which is the hand of like blessing. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and I am the last. If I did that to you, are you now, like? don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm the first. And I go, what? But when the Son of God says it, this is a statement of, I am absolutely in control, John. And I am, he's going to tell him a lot more profound things. He says in verse 18, I am the living one. I died And behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I have the keys of everything that's ever threatened you, John. Death, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Why? I have the keys to it. Hades, hell, I have the keys to it. I'm in charge over it all, John. I am the beginning, the first, and I am the last. When you walk into eternity, who do you walk into? When you were born, who were you born into? When you walked into salvation, who'd you walk into? This morning, when you woke up, who's God's green earth? That's the the idea that it's first and last, Alpha, Omega, Ancient of Days, the Son of Man. He's it. He is the central focus of heaven, and he should be the central focus of every God fearing church. And so, as we get today, I I just want to ask three questions, and I actually might end on time today. Glory, all right? Do you need to see Jesus this way this weekend? Or another way to act, how do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as small, kind of removed? He's not that powerful. We're waiting for this day. Or do you see him right now? He's in heaven, seated on a throne, burning with eyeball fire, white hair, Burnished bronze boots Standing in authority And When he speaks power falls over people And when you see him encounter him You fall down dead That's how you should see Jesus Because John through the spirit Is going don't look at anything else Look at him That's what John's saying to the churches What are you looking at church That's John's voice over all the seven Why are you looking at you Look at him why are you looking at your persecution? Look at him. Why are you looking at anything? Look at him. He's marvelous. He's beautiful. Look at him. He's standing as absolute sovereign over all things. Jesus is not afraid of the current political climate. You know that? Jesus is not up there like, ooh, I did not see that cancer coming. And cancer's not a joking matter. But Jesus is not afraid. Job loss does not make him go, man, my burnished bronze boots must be not working. Do you see how it almost makes you go, what am I afraid of? If this is who he is and he goes, Andrew Holdsworth in Oxford, Ohio in 2022, that kid's mine and that's what he's like, I'm untouchable until he takes me. I'm not afraid of anything, but I'm afraid of a lot of things. Can we be honest? And I live a lackluster faith because I allow my vision to go away from this Jesus and then center on a much smaller, comfortable, palatable one. When the church walks around knowing this Jesus, I think there's not a dark episode of your life that can shake your faith. You know why I love Mark Fitzgerald? For many reasons. But because the man's body's broken and he's going, God's using me. Did you hear his testimony? I asked God why I'm still here. And then he prays demons out of people, prays healing for people, shares the gospel regularly on the street. And I'm like, Mark, I want to be like you when I grow up. Why is that? Why does it often take the breaking of our bodies or hardship or persecution for us to go, you know what, I'm going to give Jesus everything. And so here's churches struggling with that very idea. And Jesus' message, he's going to give them a lot more through the book of Revelation, is look at who I am. This is true in John's day. This is true in our day. When the four horsemen of the apocalypse break open to the sky, when the plagues start pouring out, when the scrolls are opened and everything that we will debate about for the weeks in coming, Jesus is still this, yeah? When you get the phone call that cancer came, hear me, I've had this phone call. It's not a pleasant one. Jesus is still this, right? Now, it's harder to say, yeah, it's harder, but no less true. So what God's word is giving us is a weapon to fight fear, doubt, and lackluster faith. What motivates me to love people that are hard to love is this Jesus. What motivates me to give my money and lay down my life is this Jesus who laid down his life for me how big is your view of Jesus? The second one's a little bit more of like a challenge, but do you dare to stand against him? And I I don't like to be this pastor, but I'm learning how to be this pastor. Some of you are standing against the things of God. You came to church. That's step one. But some of us, we are standing in the way of the Son of God. And he has been beating on the door of your heart. He's been putting, you know, hardship in your life to get your attention, and you're like, I'm not going to listen to him. When you see him, this will be your reaction. And he not only has power and grace for the sinner, he has judgment. And I'm not a very good pastor if I skip that part. Because the word of God this is all the book of Revelation is. There's a powerful Jesus who stands over all time and all creation. He is the ancient of days. He is the son of man. He is wearing all of these powerful things. He's speaking with life. And then if you stand against him, he wins. He wins. So what side are you on? If we continued reading Revelation 6, we going to talk about the beast. I'm going to talk about Babylon in chapter 17 going to talk about this prostitute riding a great red beast, and everybody wants to guess, is that Vladimir Putin? I'm not even going to do that in this series. All I'm saying is, if it's a beast, a dragon, Satan himself, Jesus is not afraid. He's the one that wins. He already won, which means he's just like waiting until the assigned time. And all that while, we're over here fretting on the earth, and he's going, what are you guys fretting about? Look at me. And so that's your mission this week. Look at Jesus. Behold him. See what he's like. Spend time with him. Learn his rhythms and the ways of grace. Walk with him, close with him. Be in the spirit like John was. Maybe you'll have a vision, maybe you won't, but you have the word of God, which tells you what to do. And then finally... Do you see how, like, this shows us what we should be about? So what are you about? If this is the end of all things, this is the unveiling of Jesus, him judging all the nations of the earth, and what are you living for? What am I living for? On a small scale, uh, we weren't home this weekend because we were renting our house, but we got a phone call that our next-door neighbor died. 73, out of the blue, middle of the night, just gone. Every time I experience a funeral, you know what I say to myself? I'm going to be more intentional. You have that feeling? Like somebody that you love and you wish you would have told them you loved them, and then they die and you're like, dang it! This is way bigger than that, right? We're dealing with much more eternal things, correct? And so this is Paul, this is like the booster shot of like, go walk in faith. Go live for what matters. Go sacrifice, because in the end, he wins, and you're with him. This is, what are you living for? What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? Because the one there holds the seven stars and holds the churches. So I would have to assume he's holding this church in his hand. Because if he didn't want it, you know what he could do with it? And we would be no more. But while we're here, we're going to stare at that king. And we're going to serve him and him alone. Now, some of us, we're going to struggle with it, and this is why the church exists to grow us up and to equip us. But the, the, the Bible is going to say over and over and over and over again these are the things which must shortly take place. I think God's idea of short may be different than mine, but short, it's coming. These, the time is near, he says in verse 3. Behold, he is coming, verse 7 says. And ultimately, For much of my life, I didn't like the book of Revelation. Am I allowed to say that as a pastor? It's just confusing. And people get in fights about it. But you'll notice right at the front, it says, blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So this is scripture, is it not? So I would challenge you to read chapter one multiple times this week. I know it's not in the reading plan. Read it. Read it and study it and ask the Spirit of the Lord to give you ears to hear what God might say to you. And that's where we're going to end today, right on time. It's a miracle, Dave. Are you proud of me, Papa George? Are you good? Uh, so what I'd like to do, actually, this is what I really want to do. I want to pray. And we're not, I'm not actually done, and I don't think God's done, but... I'm going to pray, say amen, and then if you're a parent, would you go get your kids? If you want to leave, you can leave. We're going to take like a two-minute little segue, and when you come back, I want to go back into ministering, praying, and worshiping. If you don't want to, there's no shame, okay? It's just my little, I'm trying something new today, all right? So can we pray? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the alpha and the omega. There is nothing in all of creation that you don't rightfully rule over. And I thank you that you are the living one, the one that holds the keys to death and Hades. And so right now, God, we bow our hearts and we recognize that sometimes we get a small view of you. Holy Spirit, would you enlarge our view of Jesus Christ? Would you overwhelm us this week with your glory, with your beauty? Would you give this church ears to hear and eyes to behold the Son of God? That we would live in light of eternity. That moment when you rip open the sky, we would live because that's, that's a, a sure thing. It's happening. I thank you for this body. I thank you for this beautiful people. Would you lead them this week? in tangible ways, would you help us to live according to your word, that you are coming, that the Lord is returning, that you came the first time, and we celebrate that, but you are coming the second time, and we say in unison, the spirit and the bride say, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. We want you. You're the one we adore. You're the one we love. And I pray, Lord, that that will grow all this week and through this season in Jesus' name, amen.
0: I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.